good. She's to bring him good, not evil, for the rest of her life. I didn't write that. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. But I thought, what, what are they really talking about here? Well, I did. Say, if you've seen the word study there, God, God's intention for her is to bring her man good. Brings. You know what that means? In the Hebrew, to proactively deal fully. Proactively do to him virtuous, what is good. The word good in the Hebrew means to benefit him, meaning to bring, this is what it literally means, to bring advantage to him. Good in the Hebrew means to benefit him, meaning to bring advantage to him. Okay? That's on page two. Oh, excuse me, that's still on page one. I'm, I, I have the extra notes on mine. So she's to bring advantage to him, not harm. And what that means is that she is, the, the word literally not harm means that she is agreeable. Follow me? That she is agreeable and will not have a contentious, willful spirit that grieves and eventually hurts the man she has chosen. And what's the duration of this? Here's notes right here. All the days of her life. So it says that we, have, we say that the first reason why she must be discerning is she's going to, ladies, you're going to eventually, if you haven't or if you want to pursue a relationship, you will assume a role that you must be discerning in because it's going to define the way that you're supposed to act towards him throughout the rest of your life. And specifically, you're going to do him no good, or you're going to do him good and no harm. And that's what the definition of those words means. However, there's a second reason. I think that she must be discerning. And as I, I studied this, and I, and, and I, I th thought about this. I rewrote this pretty much completely. And I labored on it for hours, literally hours on this, trying to get it right, trying to get the words right, trying to get the sense right. It seems so simple, but it, it just it took me some time. But I really believe this is what it means. The second reason that she must be discerning is because the role that she assumes in choosing the right man assumes that both he and she know and are fulfilling God's purpose for their lives. She has to be discerning and the reason is because the role that she assumes in choosing the right man assumes that both he and she know and are fulfilling God's purpose. In other words, she's able to look at this guy and is able to say, this guy has a purpose and he's fulfilling that purpose. And I'm going to tell you why that's important in just a second. But ladies, you make an advantage, because, because you are going to do this guy no harm, you're going to do him good. You're going to invest your time in your life. You have to be discerning and seeing, does this man have a purpose? What is his purpose? And am I going to follow through and help him achieve the purpose that God has called him to achieve? Where do you get that? Through discernment, she will be able to look at a man's lifestyle. Think about this. If you have discernment, that means discernment being you can see below the surface with understanding. Through discernment, she will be able to look at a man's lifestyle 
and we'll be able to conclude whether or not he knows and is fulfilling the purpose that God created him to fulfill. I looked in this text and I came across a scripture that says, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. That is not she goes out and finds somebody in government or she finds somebody who's in a public position. What that's saying is for the guy to be in that position, to be at the city gate where he takes a seat among his elders of the land, here is a man who understands who he is, he understands his gifting, and he is using his gifting to fulfill his purpose. I, I can't tell you how important this is. Especially, we'll get into Romans 12 eventually, but it talks about various spiritual gifts. But her husband is respected at the city gates. So when she makes this choice of this guy, this is what's really interesting. At the time she, hooked, she marries this guy, she doesn't know if he's going to have a place at the city gates. There's no indication of that at all. And don't forget, these are the Proverbs that it's King Lemuel referred to. His mother is sharing these things. And near as I can tell, the virtuous woman, the statement about the virtuous woman continues with, the, with the, the verses that preface that with how a king should act. So, through discernment, she'll be able to look at a man's lifestyle and will be able to conclude whether or not he knows and is fulfilling the purpose that God created him to fulfill. Men, if you're going to find the right woman, you want somebody who is fulfilling her purpose so that you guys can move in your life with purpose. Now, here's the deal. If the man she chooses has no purpose, it's going to sound harsh, but you need to hear me on this. If the man she chooses has no purpose, once married, she will realize that she married a project. Okay? and will spend the rest of her life babysitting an overgrown, selfish adolescent. Ladies, we are surrounded by men everywhere, just to the ladies now, that are just big, overgrown kids. They're not mature in how they act. They're not mature in what they do. They would just look for the next thing to play. What you want to do, I don't care what your age is, you want to find somebody who has a designated purpose. They know where they're headed. They know where they're going. Why do you want that? Because a discerning woman's virtue is connected, to the next point, to her willingness to stand alongside the man she chooses, helping the man to fulfill his purpose. This is important. She knows that this is why she was created. If he does not know his purpose, she cannot help him. You'd be hanging out with somebody and they're purposeless, they're just kind of schlocking their way through life, no big deal, whatever the case. They don't have any real purpose, they don't have any goals, they don't have any future, it seems like. They have not put together their gifts and how God can use their gifts. Well, what happens is, is, is a, a, a discerning woman's virtue, her goodness, is connected to her willingness to stand alongside the man she chooses, helping the man fulfill his purpose. She knows that this is why she was created. If he does not know his purpose, she cannot help him. All she will be able to do is mother him, and the purpose for which she was created will never happen. That sounds awful harsh, doesn't it? I'm going to tell you. Christianity is not for babies. 
though by now you ought to be teachers. We need someone to teach us the elementary truths of God's word all over again. Anyone who lives on milk is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. Okay? Now, you say, well, how do we know <clears throat> that she was created to help the man? I didn't write this. I'm just going to quote you some scriptures. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Somebody who stands alongside. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, visualize this. Adam is in the Garden of Eden. He is among all the animals. 20, we believe, creation science guys believe there are probably 20,000 different kinds you got the canine kind, you got the various the bird kind, you got all these different kinds. In other words, it, it, the birds don't, or fish don't turn into cattle, cattle don't turn into people, monkeys don't turn into people, there are specific kinds. And, the, and he was required, God said, name the animals. Keep the garden, name the animals. So he sees all around him animals. And the Bible is very careful to say that he created animals, male and female, created he them. This is why he took a male and a female on the ark when he brought a universal flood. And so, obviously, Adam's there. He's the only man. He has no female. He sees these animals do what animals do. I mean, can we be honest? That's what's happening here. And he says, God says, look, there were, I, there's no suitable helper for, that was found for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep while he was sleeping. He took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from his, the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Significance of that is in 1 Corinthians 11.9. For man did not come from woman, woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but the woman created for man. To do what? To be his helper. Okay, so you're married, you're in a situation where you're going to get married. What you want to have a vision of is how can you, ladies, best fulfill that mission of helping this man standing alongside him? You have to have the discernment to understand, is this the man that has the gifts and the abilities to accomplish what he believes God has called him to accomplish? And if he doesn't, why am I wasting my time with somebody that just wants to play the rest of their lives? I think these are important things, ladies, for you to really take a look at. Now, talk about discernment. How can a woman develop a discerning heart so that she need, sees beneath the surface of a situation and is able to make wise decisions? How does she develop that? I, I, I stopped the study. I was going to take more time today and just talking about the first two points. 
It had to do with the two reasons on why she needs to be discerning. And at the same time, I've been thinking about all this and thinking about it, and i got to tell you, I woke up this morning, Kim will tell you, I woke up at 3.30, and I'm tossing and turning, I just kept thinking, lady, I was thinking about y'all. And I'm tossing and turning and thinking, what's the real question? Well, if I'm telling them they need to have discernment, how do they get discernment? So I got here very early, and I sat down, and I put this to paper. How can a Christian woman develop a discerning heart so that she can see beneath the surface of a situation and make the wise decision. Would you like to know how to do that? One, she must make the pursuit of wisdom her greatest priority. This is, write that in, her greatest priority. The pursuit of wisdom is to be her greatest priority. Listen to this. This is the ability to look at life through the eyes of God. This is more important than the pursuit of wealth. It is more important than the pursuit of power. And it is more important than the pursuit of security. Ladies, do not sell yourself short. Don't just roll over and play dead because you want security. You find somebody with money or whatever. Don't do that. The Bible says... She needs to make wisdom her greatest priority. Well, where do you get that from, Mark? Well, in the first chapter of Proverbs, here's what it says. Wisdom, that is the ability to look at life from God's perspective. The writer puts this in the form of a female. Remember, when you're looking at the book of Proverbs, in probably about the first ten chapters, you see a bunch of sections on wisdom. And this is a father speaking to his son. But it's Solomon speaking to everybody. But it's a father speaking to his son. So his appeal is avoid the wrong kind of woman and pursue wisdom. And so he uses wisdom in the feminine. Pursue her. Just like you would pursue a woman, guys. It says pursue her. Who's her? Wisdom. See how he does that? And you see that in about the first ten chapters. It's remarkable what he does. And here's what he says. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public squares. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. And by the way, if you know, typically, when I hand out an outline, I just put the line, I put the scripture reference in just the thing you need to underline. But ladies, I wanted you to get these scriptures and make sure you had them. You don't even have to look them up. They're right here. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. And this is what she says. How long will you simple ones love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Why do we say fools hate knowledge? You're in the book of Proverbs... I've been over this many, many times, the book of Proverbs. There's three words that you want to pay attention to. Wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. The first is knowledge. You'll find throughout Proverbs says, pursue knowledge, pursue knowledge, get knowledge. You know what that is? That's raw information about how things work. I use the illustration of a pistol. So bear with me, those of you who have heard this before, but it's just such a great illustration. Knowledge is this. Here is the gun. Here's the bullet. 
the bullet goes into this chamber and I close it. That's knowledge. If you take them just apart, it's just pieces of stuff. Understanding is understanding that when I put the bullet in here and I close it, I cock the hammer back and I pull the trigger, it goes off. That's understanding how it works. That's crossing models and paradigms. Take the raw information and this is how it fits together. Wisdom, you gotta have understanding. Wisdom is the ability to understand who to point it at and shoot and who not to. See the distinction? Those are three words. If you'll spend one month in the book of Proverbs, you just one chapter a day, 31 chapters, just one chapter a day, this will leap out at you from the pages. Pursue knowledge, pursue understanding, pursue wisdom. You pursue all of them. So she must make the pursuit of wisdom her greatest priority and says, how long will you mockers, how long will you simple ones love your simple ways, how long will mockers delight in mockery, and here it is, fools hate knowledge. Then she says, if you had responded to my rebuke, if you would have listened to me and done what I told you to do, I rebuked you and you didn't listen, I would have poured my heart out to you and made my thoughts known to you. If you would have listened to me and done what I asked you to do, you would go to a whole new level of understanding. That's why if you can obey in little things, you'll be able to go and obey in bigger things because obedience allows you to go to deeper levels. But since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke, here's the result. I, in turn, will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. Then, she says, they'll call unto me. But I'm not going to answer them. They will look for me, but they're not going to find me since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke. They will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. You have knowledge. It is thrown in front of your eyes. You're given information. And you go, well, I just, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, good luck, because when the time comes and you wish you would have, you would have known how to deal with it or how to walk through it. But since you didn't do that, you're going to want it, and you're not going to get it. Watch this. New Testament's a little more forgiving than this, and I'll share it with you in a second. <laughs> so she's got to realize that the pursuit of wisdom is her greatest priority. And here it is. And when she does find herself in a test, she must clearly ask the Lord for wisdom, especially when her faith is being tested. In other words, not only do you have to pursue it, you have to, you have to ask for it. And I'll show you an example in a second. In James it says, Consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, knowing because you know that the test of your faith produces perseverance. Now perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking ever, anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all. Now here's that you find yourself in a situation. 
your heart is broken, you've been hurt, you've been rejected, you've rejected somebody, you're all confused, this is all going on. And, but, it's, but it has happened in your life because God has pursued this for you. Do not forget that. You can live the rest of your life saying, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. If I only knew then what I know now, if I just wouldn't have gone there, and I'm here to tell you that if you could do it all again, you're going to go back and do the exact same thing again, even if you had all that. It wasn't your time. It's like the Apostle Paul. It wasn't his time to be saved until he was born and then into his 30s after he had persecuted all these Christians. And then he, in the book of Galatians, looks back on that and says, it was determined when I was in my mother's womb that I was going to reach the Gentiles for Christ. And yet he spent his first 30 years persecuting people, pulling them out of their houses, throwing them in jail with the Pharisees. He stood by, by Stephen. He held Stephen's cloak as he was stoned to death. And the scripture is very careful to say Paul was in hearty agreement with what was going on. So you can't go back and change the way things are. But this one thing we know, the Bible says God has determined the times, Acts 17, determined the times set for us. He's determined the exact places where we should live. And he did this so that perhaps we would reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Isn't that awesome? So you're in the situation that you're in, as heartbreaking as it is, as difficult as it is, somebody's left you, somebody's passed away, somebody in your business has hurt you, somebody has rejected you. God is pushing you through a situation. See it as that. Well, I don't like that. Well, Job didn't like it either, but Job accepted it. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. And when he questioned God at the end of the book of Job, God shows up and he says, how dare you question me? You stand up. You will not question me. I will question you. Were you there when I created the world? Were you there when I stretched a line between Pleiades and whatever the other one was in the stars? Were you there when I created the mountains, when I created the deepest depths of the sea? Were you there when I created Leviathan? Were you there when I created that animal with those shields across their back that you cannot penetrate with a spear that lives in the swamp? And if you should catch it with a hook, you will regret it the day you die. Did you create that? Were you there when I created the animals in the mountains who have babies in the mountains? Were you there when I created the ostrich who is so dumb steps on her own eggs? No, you weren't there. Job finally gives in. He surrenders. He said, I surrender. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I submit. And once Job got the message, he got wisdom. And when he got wisdom, God restored everything to him many times over more than what he had previous to that. Stuff happens in your life as Christians, where it's very conceivable Satan has gone to God. It says that he is in the heavenlies, that Satan has access, 
Just like Job. Hey, Job, I perceive you've been going through to and fro throughout the earth today. Have you considered my servant Job? In other words, God knew what he was up to. God teed Job up to Satan. I didn't write that. He teed him up to Satan. So I'm on my way to work. And the next thing I know, I'm looking up at four surgeons in the hospital at Memorial Hermann. They're looking down at me, I'm looking up at them. I didn't even know how I got there. My femur was through the back of my pelvis and out my butt. Guys, it, 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 it's, I'm, it was amazing. The result of which was that they found, it's public knowledge, that the, the Department of Public Safety came to me after a few days when I could talk, and they said, can we do a test on your blood? I said, absolutely. I knew I had no problem. So they came back and they said, we have found Ambien in your system, and Adderall, but Adderall was never charged with Adderall. Ambien in my system. And they said that, but, but they said it was according to therapeutic range and was by prescription. But they said that's what caused whatever happened to me. That was their conclusion. I said, how do you know that? And they concluded this as I talked to them extensively. So you're telling me because you can't find anything else, you're going to charge me with that? Yeah. Does that mean you're going to charge me with a DWI, B? And the trooper, who I know, Sergeant Pullen, he felt terrible. He said, Judge, I, 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 yeah. And I just said to him, okay, do what you have to do. Meanwhile, I'm thinking I need to fight this. I got it from the doctor. I was in therapeutic range. And it was apparently residual in my system, and they're saying that that's what caused me to black out. Well, in this whole process, they came out, and the district attorney charged me, Brett Ligon, with a DWI. Guys, I couldn't believe it. They let me turn myself in at the sheriff, the jail. They let me turn myself in. You believe that? I went over there, they fingerprinted me. Pastor of the Woodlands Bible Church, state representative, county judge, they fingerprinted me, took my mugshot, of which I made sure my hair looked very good and I was smiling when I took it. They don't even ever want to show it because how can this guy have done anything wrong? It was really funny. So then in my campaign, well, before my campaign, they told me I was going to be charged, so I hired an attorney and I was going to fight this. They had so much information, it was unbelievable. And so, I'm, as I was going to fight it, I looked at the law. And the law says that in DWI, um, that whether or not is in your bloodstream, there is no defense to prosecution on that. If it's in it, you're guilty. They're not going to ask you why. They're not going to ask you where you got it from. The law says if it's, you need to know this if you're on prescription drugs. 
Run prescription drugs and it's in your system and you're driving your car and you get in a wreck and they can't figure out any other way, they're going to blood test you. And if they find it, you're going to be charged with a DWI, not DUI. DUI is for under 21, which, by the way, stays on your permanent record, causes you to lose your ability to carry. So as I thought about that and I looked at it, I was ready to fight. It even came out with a video that I was going to fight it. But then I read the law says that it's, if it's in your system, there's no defense to prosecution. If somebody shoots a man, bam, and they go and they ask him, why did you do that? Well, he was sleeping with my wife. That's a defense to prosecution. Okay? There's probable cause. There's a cause there for causing him to do it. So they take that into consideration on this, either, either DWI or not. So I, when I read that, I thought, I just need to get on with this. And so I went, I, we contacted my attorney, contacted the DA, and I just said, look, just, I accept it. Took it, paid my fines. Didn't do any time, but I paid my fines and that sort of thing. And then I had to run an election. I thought, should I resign? I talked to our human services. She said, are you kidding me, Judge? You realize some of the stuff the judge has been involved in, do not resign. My son says at that time, Dad, you're 66 years old, 67 years old. Are you kidding me? Nobody cares about this. I said, well, I care about it. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and stay, and I began to run. And every single one of 14 forums, I heard about my DWI, and I wasn't worthy of the position. And I visualized, how could this happen? And it was like Satan went to God, and he said, God said, have you considered my servant Mark? He'll turn away from you. He'll turn on you if you convict him of this. You watch. And it's like God says, don't kill him. Just like he told Job about Job. Don't kill him. You can hurt him, but don't kill him. And I was hurt. Do you realize what happened? The whole time I did it, I quit arguing about it when I was out in the debates. I said, if anybody wants to hear about it, meet me at my table. And I finally concluded that when the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser. I would say that at every one. It's like a, drop, a mic drop. Let me tell you what God did. I couldn't see it. I didn't understand it. But what happened was, when the election came, I took 111 of 111 precincts were in my favor against two in opposition. Can you believe that? That's just God. That was just God. And I believe that sometimes Satan will go before our Heavenly Father and he'll go, let's just see what she does if I do this. Okay, you go ahead and do that, but don't you hurt her, don't touch her. Remember, he got tested twice. God teed Job up to Satan. First time, don't touch him. Took Good portion of his family, took all his crops, his animals, his slaves. The bad guys came, wiped him out. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Well, if you go ahead and you hurt his physical body, Lord, he'll turn on you. God says, okay, go ahead and do that, but don't kill him. Here's Job sitting on a pot shirt of ashes with boils from the, says to the top of his head, big nasty pussy boils to the bottom of his feet in unbelievable pain. And then his friends come and nag him and say how he's got some sin going on in his life. 
Job didn't do anything. He was a good man. He went to work and he ended up in a car wreck. This is how God does. He's determined the time set for us. The exact places where we should live. He does this so that we'll perhaps reach out for him and find him. I can tell you as I laid in that hospital, I had only one place to look and that was to God. And some of us are in that position right now. You've got to clearly ask the Lord for wisdom, especially when, ladies, your faith is being tested. You, that's the time you will get tremendous wisdom if you submit to it rather than keep fighting the testing. We fight the testing. We, we're lonely. We become angry at God. We become angry at people around us. No. I give, you give all the credit to the Lord. You give all the thanks to the Lord. Lord, I trust you. I believe in you. I don't know why you're doing this to me right now. I don't understand it, but I don't have to understand it. All I know is that you are my God. You are the one true God. Who do I have in heaven but thee, O God? Only God. Ladies, you have to adopt that posture in order to get wisdom. So, in order to get this discernment, she must make the pursuit of wisdom her greatest priority. Secondly, she must clearly ask the Lord for wisdom. And third, she must do whatever it takes to acquire it. She must believe. She must believe. Write that in. She must believe in her heart that there is no sacrifice that is too great in this pursuit. Why do I say that? So Solomon is talking about his father and mother's wisdom in Proverbs chapter 4. When I was a boy in my father's house, still tender and an only child of my mother, he taught me and said, Lay hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or swerve from them. Do not forsake wisdom. And she will protect you. Love wisdom. And she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Esteem her. And she will exalt you. Embrace her. And she will honor you. She will set a garland of grace on your head and present you with a crown of splendor. So the scripture is teaching us, do whatever it takes to acquire it. And she's got to believe that this is priority in her life. More important than anything else. More important than going looking for a guy, looking for somebody. This is to you ladies now. Looking for somebody that can provide for your needs or create some kind of security or that sort of thing. No, you pursue wisdom first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Remember the scriptures, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, or wherewithal shall ye be clothed? For after these things do the unsaved women think, unsaved men think and pursue. But your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. Therefore, since he already knows your need, he's going to provide. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You'll have all your needs met. That's what the scripture teaches. It's a little bit in the heat of it and you're in the middle of it. I remember when I was single many years ago, I was so frustrated and, of course, lonely and all the various things that go along, especially being a single dad. And I, and 
I remember finally saying to the Lord, Lord, if you want me, I'm going to pursue you. I don't care what it takes. If you want me to be single the rest of my life, I'm going to trust you to do it. That's one of the principles that I teach. If you're going to fall in the arms of God's right man or woman for you, you must first be willing to give up your right to have a mate in order for God to bring you one. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And when the timing is right, and we get the message, both for men and women, all of a sudden, we show up one day, and there's that person. As you heard me maybe mention, I was a single dad. I moved here. I bought a house over here. And because Dave Anderson asked me to teach a class, I did. I moved over here. Ford wanted me to get closer to my dealership. And I moved to the Woodlands in 1996. And he asked me to start a single adult class. And so I went in my house on Thursday nights. We had it there, and we had it on Sunday morning at my house, and then everybody would go to church. I bought this, this house. had a big old conference table in it with 14 chairs. We'd all sit there and study the Bible. And the, and the very first call of my friend Pat Spurlock, who was a member of the church, passed away. He was a salesman for me at the Ford store. He got on the telephone. I said, here, call these people and invite them to the singles class. That Dave Anderson gave me a list of people. And he comes to me, and he says, you know, I just talked to this lady. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. She goes, she works in, for General Motors. Really? I told her, I said, you're a graduate of Dallas Seminary, and you're a car dealer, and you're teaching a Bible study. And he said, she said to me, a car dealer teaching a Bible study? This I have got to see. It's my bride, Kim. Stand up, Kim, so everybody can see how lovely you are. My main squeeze. Isn't she awesome? But that was the case, and they were there. And she brought a group of people. Now, the idea of purpose, I knew that God had called me to teach. Eventually, if I could get back to preach, I would. But he called me to teach. I knew that was my purpose, as well as providing for my family and the rest. And so I was doing that. Well, guess what? Here steps in this woman who was doing her purpose. She had organized these group of people that brought them to my house from Fellowship of the Woodlands. In the old scenario, she's pursuing God, I'm pursuing God, and the closer we're both pursuing God, we end up finding out we're at the same place. Two years later, we were married, and we've, we've never looked back. We've had our moments, haven't we, sweetie? Thinking people generally do. She's definitely a first child. But anyway, it's all right. I'm first of my sex. I'm last child, but first of my sex. I've got some first child tendencies. But the point is this, is that in, the, in this whole process of what was going on, if you pursue and wisdom, you will gain a discerning heart, and you don't have to pursue all this other stuff. You just do your purpose. You fulfill your purpose. You chase God, and God will one day, all of a sudden, you won't know what happened. You know what he says? He knows the desires of your heart. Tell me what this means. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you are living and acting out and maturing in the ways of God, and you're living them, that means you're going to ask for the right things. And because you're asking for the right things, God's going to give you those things because they're in agreement about what he believes about those things. 
He says, why do you ask? Why don't you pray? Because when you ask, you ask amiss that you might heap your prayers upon things that are bad and whatever. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you ask for the right things, and I promise you, I will give you those things. Now, we already know from Scripture that if a person wants to be married, that's the right thing to ask for. The Bible says that. So in the pursuit of all this, whatever you're asking for, you're able to receive it. And in this case, if you're seeking out the wisdom of God and you want to live his ways, here's number four. If she pursues wisdom, she'll gain a discerning heart. The priority of this pursuit is illustrated in this story that I'm going to give you real quick and then we're going to stop. Because in David's son, he pursued a discerning heart and received wisdom resulting in discernment. He pursued he pursued. He actually, he, he received wisdom, but pursued discernment. God gave him wisdom. Listen to this. And the Lord asked King Solomon, he says, ask him whatever he wanted God to give him. So the king went to Gibeah to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, ask whatever you want me to and to give to you. And Solomon acknowledges what God did for him. Listen to this. And God and Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant. My father David, because was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart, which, by the way, is a picture of forgiveness, because David was the one that committed adultery with Bathsheba and killed Bathsheba's husband. He was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. Guys, though a man falls seven times, God is able to raise him up. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on this throne this very day. Now, Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning. He asks for a discerning. He doesn't ask for wisdom. Ask for a discerning, which means understanding, be able to see below the surface. Give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people. For what reason? To distinguish between what is right and what is wrong? For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Listen to this answer. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, understanding how to do this, pursuing understanding, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that you will never be, so that there will never be anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for. Here it is. He pursues a discerning heart. God gives him wisdom the ability to look at life from God's perspective. He's able to see below the surface now with discerning and understanding. I will give you what you haven't asked for. I'm going to give you both wealth and honor 
so that in your lifetime there will be no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as your father David did, I will give you long life. Then Solomon awoke. He realized it had been a dream. So the response of Solomon was to ask God to give him a discerning heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. And the scripture says, now God gave Solomon wisdom. And this is in, remember I was reading from chapter 3. This is now chapter 4, verse 29. Now Solomon, God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment understanding and breadth of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Ladies, if you're going to navigate your way at this time in your life through various things that you want to do or if you want to pursue a spouse or whatever the case may be, you must have discernment. You got to be able to look at that guy and say, this guy's trying to, he's fulfilling his purpose. I can see myself jumping in alongside and helping him. God, you created me to do this. Don't let me get hooked up with the wrong guy. I don't want to waste these, end of these rest of these years. Father, don't give me an overgrown adolescent. Give me a man who truly is focused, who wants to do the right thing, and who is following you, and use my gifting and ability for what you created me to do, to stand alongside that man and help us to achieve everything that you've called us to do. Amen.